Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Good morning, church. It is so great to be with you. For those in the room with me, uh, those who are watching or listening online or through a podcast, however you got here, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Jeremy, the lead pastor here. And uh, if you're new with us, we are a church about giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Before we begin today, I want to uh, extend a special invite to you. Uh, this March, my wife Michelle and I uh, will be leading a, uh, a missions trip. Uh, we're going to go to Israel and Palestine, and you are all officially invited. I can only take 30 of you, uh, so we're going to have to figure this out. Uh, so I want to let you know about this incredible opportunity. It's a brand new trip uh, that we're going to start doing on a regular basis. Uh, for the next month, we're going to be taking signups until we're full. Uh, but uh, this is going to be March 23rd through the 31st. Uh, if you're interested at all, you can apply online, alcpnw.events. And, and here's the deal. Uh, this is a trip I've been on a number of times now. I'm so excited to roll it out. I would seriously love for all of you to experience this, and it's twofold. Uh, we're going to walk where Jesus walked, and you're gonna see things that you've read about in the Bible, and you go, oh, that happened there. That takes on a whole new meaning for me. But we're also gonna walk where Jesus is walking today. If you look at the news, you realize this is uh, one of the most uh, c- conflicted areas of the planet, and we're gonna go show you different narratives. We're gonna go introduce you to people, and you're gonna have to make sense out of how complicated this is, and you're gonna meet amazing people on all different sides of this. And, and again, this is a peacemaking trip that we're gonna do, and what it will do for your faith is unlike anything else I have personally ever experienced. And so I wanna encourage you to, to uh, if you're remotely interested, to sign up or to apply, uh, and we would love to, to get you connected. Uh, we're gonna begin you know, support raising and trip training like we do on all of our trips, and we'd love for you guys to be a part of this as well. And so uh, here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. This is something, uh, we took this photo uh, a year ago. We were at this trip, and, and you get to see things like this, and you go, oh, that's, that's where Jesus did this and that. And, and you begin to, to you know, experience all this. But then we're also gonna introduce you to people who are living out their faith in incredible ways in the midst of some very challenging circumstances. And you're gonna walk away with those stories and a new perspective. And I took a number of our staff and elders uh, to this trip uh, in last March, and they came back and said, we have got to get more people in this. And so I wanna encourage you, Michelle and I would love to host all of you. Uh, We'll start 30 people at a time, and so uh, we'll get this first trip in, and we'd love for you, if you're interested, to join us in that. Well, today we're continuing in our series, Finding Jesus in Christianity. And so if you got your journal, I wanna encourage you to get that out. We are in week two. You'll see a spot to take notes there. Encourage you to write some of these things down. Hopefully these are some ideas that are gonna challenge you a little bit, be a little bit thought-provoking, things that you can uh, explore with you and Jesus throughout the week and you and your life group as you unpack this. In your Bibles, we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter three. That's in the New Testament. So if you've got a physical analog Bible with you, go ahead and get that out. We'll give you some time to get your spot there. And if you've got a Bible app, uh, you can scroll to 2 Corinthians and get ready for that. And we're gonna be in that passage in just a little bit. Now I'm beginning, uh, or I'm continuing a series I began last week uh, talking about uh, this, this idea. And, and if you are with us last week, I recommended a book to you 
by Andy Stanley called Irresistible. And so again, I wanna encourage you, if you haven't checked this out, I think it's an incredible book, uh, figuring out how to think about Christianity. The premise of this book is, is what we are looking at and throughout this series, although this is not a book study. Uh, but if you read the book, you'll see a number of areas that I am uh, uh, unpacking ideas that uh, Andy uh, sets up in this book. And so again, wanna encourage you to check that book out. Now, last week, I shared some people who had walked away from their faith, uh, notable Christians, also shared them some things from an atheist, and we talked about what's the conversation around Christianity right now. You see, for many of us, we inherited our faith, maybe from our parents, maybe from grandparents or, or some friends, and, and it just made sense, and we're like, yeah, why can't everyone else make sense of it the way we did? But if you look around, you realize that there's an entire generation now uh, that the, the answers that might have been good enough for you are not good enough for them. And we've got to figure out how do we have this conversation? How do we think about Christianity in a way that's going to allow us to keep moving forward in our culture today? Now, skeptics have exploited a flaw in the modern way that we talk about Christianity. And it's based on a shared assumption. The shared assumption is this, that the Bible is the foundation of the Christian faith. Now, many Christians would go, yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right. The Bible is probably the foundation of this, and, and we go with that. And, and atheists would go, yeah, that's the foundation of the Christian faith. And this is where this, this kind of loophole that many atheists have taken and gone, we can dismantle the Christian faith with this shared assumption. Last week I shared that, you know, many times where you see this is uh, someone will grow up in the church and, and all the, the answers will make sense to them, the Bible will make sense to them, everything sounds good, and then they'll go off to college. And all of a sudden they're, they're around new ideas, they're around new perspectives they haven't heard before and they take one or two classes with a professor who challenges them in ways they've never been challenged before and their entire faith begins to implode. And even as I shared it last week, I had a number of students tell me that was my story. That was what I experienced. And, and this all is based on this shared assumption. Now, I, I shared some things from Sam Harris, a notable atheist last week, and, and I want to share one more that I saved for this week because I think this gets us thinking about our topic today. Here's, here's what the, the atheist Sam Harris says. He says, either the Bible is just an ordinary book written by mortals or it isn't. Either Christ was divine or he was not. If the Bible is an ordinary book and Christ an ordinary man, the basic doctrine of Christianity is false. If the Bible is an ordinary book and Christ an ordinary man, the history of Christian theology is the story of bookish men parsing a collective delusion. Oof. Let that one sink in for a second. You're like, wow, he's not holding back his words there. But again, notice the premise that this argument is based on, that if the Bible is this, then Jesus is this, and Christianity is this. It's on the shared assumption that as, you know, as everything is built around the Bible, that is what this shared assumption builds on. And so if you were to illustrate this, it would look a little bit like this. You have Christianity, and at the center of Christianity, it's the Bible. Now, again, if I asked you to draw out, how, how would you explain Christianity? You might go, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. That's how I would illustrate it. And, and this is how, again, many Christians have talked about it and how now many atheists are attacking Christianity. And if you take this to the next logical uh, point, you get this idea, that as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. As the Bible goes, 
so goes our faith. And many of us, we, we take all of our claims, all of our defenses, everything we're gonna put on the Bible. And, and again, that's where the student in college oftentimes has this really confident understanding until they hear something different and they go, I don't know what to do with that. And then so goes the faith. And you see all of this uh, you know, kind of crumble. And this has been the, the prevalent thought for generations. This is the way for generations we have talked about Christianity. But I wanna suggest that maybe this isn't the only way to think about it. And maybe it's not even the best way to think about it. What if there was another way to understand Christianity? Andy Stanley goes on and he says this. Anyone who lost faith in Jesus because they lost faith in the Bible, lost faith unnecessarily. That's a lot of losing there if you're keeping track, right? So if you lost your faith in Jesus, as many a college student has, because you lost faith in the Bible, suddenly the Bible didn't make sense to you. You didn't know how to, how to you know, understand it, how to unpack it, what's going on with it. That if you lose faith in Jesus because of that, that you unnecessarily lost your faith. And this all comes back to a question I asked last week that really could be the, 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 the foundational question of this series that has such huge implications. Is Christianity about a book or an event? And uh, like I said last week, the way we answer this question will determine the future of the church in America. The way we answer this question will likely determine whether my kids and my grandkids and all of our children and all the next generations will call themselves Christians. And again, if you take in that shared assumption, you go, well, I know what the shared assumption would tell us, but here's what I'd like to suggest to you today. I do not think that Christianity is built on a book. I'd like to suggest, as many others have before me, that Christianity is actually built on the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? Not a book on the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. This is the event that we have been talking about. We're gonna spend the next two weeks looking at the crucifixion from this lens, looking at the resurrection, trying to figure out what are the implications of this event. But let, let me begin to, to illustrate this, and for some of you, I'm gonna make you a little uncomfortable here. If there were no resurrection, we'll just take that part of the event, there would be no the Bible, okay? If there was no resurrection, there would be no the Bible. Now, you might be going, whoa, 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 okay, that may, might apply to the New Testament, Jeremy, but what about the Old Testament? Okay, I'll play. Let's say that you have studied the Old Testament, you have read it, you have heard it taught, you have, you have been all part of that. Awesome, where did that take place? Was, was it in a Jewish synagogue? No, it was probably in a church or in a church setting or with Christians. Well, if there was no resurrection, there would be no church. So you would have never had learned about the Old Testament the way you likely did. Now, if you actually study in a synagogue, kudos to you, you, you have beaten my illustration. But for the rest of us that go, yeah, no, I, I learned about the Old Testament in a Christian setting, never would have happened if there was no resurrection. You see, you begin to, to look at the kind of the chicken and the egg thing of like, how did we get to all of this, and unless you understand how we got here, unless you understand the order in which this took place, you're gonna have a hard time making sense of all of these elements, which is why last week I gave you Stanley's premise that I think is so valuable. He says this, we must tether the faith of this generation to the event, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, that sparked the movement, which you and I are part of right now, that brought us 
the Bible. This is how you put all of it into an order. This is how you make sense of all of this. How did we get here? Well, there is an event that sparked a movement that eventually brought us the Bible. Now, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. This gets a little bit weird if you think about this. Do you know that the early church, which we have now inherited, we have become a part of for our generation, but the early church was born without the Bible. Now I want you to think this through because this is how we got to where we are today. The early church was born, this movement that we have now joined a part of was born without the Bible. Uh, the, The first recording we ever have of the New Testament, first mention of the New Testament as we know it, comes from a guy named Athanasius. And Athanasius lived in those years. Now, if you're doing the math, you're going, wait a minute, that that doesn't make sense. How is he the first one to mention the New Testament as we know it? He was the Bishop of Alexandria, and in the year 367, he was the first one to mention the books of the New Testament as we understand it today. It's the oldest reference we have to it, which if you're doing the math, is about 300 years after the books were written. This is why Jesus never quotes the New Testament. Because it didn't exist, right? And and so again, you begin to go, wait, wait a minute. So this whole thing started and they didn't have what you and I probably take for granted. Oh yeah, we can read the New Testament anytime. We can read all about it. They didn't have access to it like you and I do. That would come years later. And again, so what we think of, this is how you build it. You know, if I'm gonna invite someone to church, I'm gonna give them a Bible. You couldn't do that. If you were the early church, you didn't have that available. And so that's, uh, that's one notable problem. Uh, that's reason why the church wasn't began on the Bible. Number two reason is something I can illustrate with a, a New Testament scholar. He says this, most early Christians, like most other people throughout the empire, including Jews, we're illiterate. I don't know what you think about uh, the, the people in the New Testament, you think about the disciples and all them. Do you realize that the majority of them could not read? Now, when you take this into consideration, it really will mess with your perception a little bit of how you imagined we all got here. Because they didn't sit down and they didn't have their, their daily quiet times where they read through the New Testament together and read all about Jesus. They, they just didn't have it because they couldn't read, most of them. And so you get passages in the New Testament that shows you what the church did about this. How how did they get around the fact that most of them couldn't read? Well, notice what Colossians chapter four says. After this letter has been read to you, why? Because you probably can't read it yourself. See that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. That when you guys gather together, have someone read that letter to you as well, uh, because that is how we're going to circulate these ideas. And so imagine you're in the early church and you're like, all right, uh, I just got to the church of, uh, you know, wherever, Corinth or Ephesus, and, and you're part of this church, and, and you, you want to get more engaged. You want to become a family member of that church. And so you fill out a serve application. And on the serve application, they ask you, what role would you be interested in doing? And you might think, okay, I could be an usher. I could be a life group leader. Uh, One of the roles would say, reader. Like, if you can read, let us know. And you're like, 
hey, I can read. And they're like, really? We got a reader, everybody. We got a reader. All of a sudden, that church would be so grateful that they could now read to the rest of the community what letters were being circulated around as they became available. You had a reader. You probably also had a writer, like someone who could write down what was going on. It could write down the things in your community that would have been notable. Now, again, if you understand this, you begin to find it all throughout the New Testament. You see references to this. Let me show you a few uh, from Paul. In uh, Romans chapter 16, which is written, everyone, or not everyone, but most scholars would agree, was written by Paul. Notice this line, Romans 16, 22. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, at first glance, you're like, who the heck is Tertius? Like, what, what is this guy doing? This letter's from Paul. But Tertius is the one who wrote it down. This is his job. He's like, look, I can write, I can read. I'm the qualified one. And so that's Tertius's job. And, and elsewhere, you have the flip side. In Galatians chapter six, Paul says this. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Paul's like, check me out. These are my letters. That's right. I didn't need Tertius for this one. Like this was part of their culture because it was not common for people to read and to write. And again, the way we imagine, they go, no, they each had a copy of the New Testament or they downloaded it on their phone and that's how they read it, right? They didn't have it available. And even if they did, most of them couldn't have read it. And yet somehow the church grew. Somehow this movement began that you and I are a part of today. And so you might wonder if they didn't have copies of the New Testament and they couldn't read it if they did, what did they have? Like, how did this thing grow? How did this movement begin? And here's what they had. They had eyewitness accounts of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had guys that had said, I saw him die. I saw him on a cross. I watched them take his body and put it into a tomb. And then I waited a few days and, and then I watched as he was not in the tomb anymore, but he talked to me. And I gotta tell other people this. And this was the story that they began to tell, that there was an event that had forever changed their lives and they wanted everyone to know about it. And eventually they started writing it down. They started saying, hey, what we have seen, we need to make sure other people see as well. You might go, man, that... That would be really hard. I can't believe they were able to, to grow the church without the Bible. How on earth did they do it? Let's, let's feel bad for them. Well, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter three. I wanna show you Paul's take on this and how the apostle Paul went about understanding what was going on in their midst in the, the season that they were uniquely in. 2 Corinthians chapter three, begin reading in verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Oh, okay, so Paul's not like, oh, woe is us. We don't have any text. We don't have any ability to talk. No, we have such a hope. We are very bold. Why are you so bold, Paul? You get ready. Paul's about to throw some shade to the Old Testament. We are not like Moses, like, 
Oh, okay, here we go. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. He is throwing shade to like generations of Israelites who had gone before him and basically says, they were all dull. The people you have read about in the Old Testament, according to Paul, are dull. You're going, why are they all dull? For to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. That would be the Old Testament to us. It has not been removed because, catch this, only in Christ is it taken away. Only in Christ is this veil taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, the law of the Old Testament, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. That last sentence is so amazing. We who have unveiled faces, who have seen the person of Jesus contemplate his glory, and we are being transformed into his image. But Paul, how could you do that without the Bible? Paul's like, I haven't written it yet. I'll get around to writing the New Testament later. But for right now, I need you to understand that we are being transformed into the person of Jesus as he rips the veil from our eyes. What rips the veil from our eyes? Notice, he, he says this in verse 14, that only in Christ is it taken away. Is it when I study it really good? No, only in Christ is it taken away. Is it when I memorize it and I, and I, and I go to school for it and I'm like smarter than anyone else? No, only in Christ is the veil taken away. You want to understand this. You want to see what others who came before you could not see. Only in Christ is it taken away. Okay, so like what is Christianity built on then? Well, I would update our, our little image and it would look like this. Christianity, the Bible, right? But what's the focus of the Bible? The person of Jesus. And so you go, well, what are we doing with the Bible? We stole the Bible out? No, the Bible is the core of this. But you don't stop there. What's at the core of the Bible? It's the person of Jesus. And so if Sam Harris came to me and said, hey, I wanna, I wanna debate you on the Bible. Do you know that? Da, 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 and he could talk all about this. I'd say, hey, I wanna introduce you to Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Because that is why that makes sense to me. I, I, no, I don't want to argue. I want to go back to Jesus. Let's go even deeper on this discussion. Let's not stop at the Bible. Let's talk about who Jesus is and how I've experienced him today. It's a different way of understanding our faith. When a, a pastor named Brexy Cavey says it like this. Even though we learn about Jesus from the Bible, the Jesus we learn about in the Bible would not advocate following the Bible. Rather, we read the Bible to learn about the failure of the old and the beauty of the new brought about by Jesus who said, follow me. 
So we read the Bible, we value the Bible, we love the Bible because it helps us to understand the person of Jesus. It helps us center that on the person of Jesus. Now there's an expression out there and uh, maybe you've heard it. An expression goes like this. The map is not the territory. You ever heard this expression? I wanna hijack that expression and use it in this context. The map is not the territory. Basically your understanding of a thing is not the same as what that thing is pointing you to. Have you ever seen the, the movie Goodwill Hunting? Uh, there's a great scene in Goodwill Hunting that, that it captures this essence. You have Robin Williams, who's the teacher, and Matt Damon, who's a student. He's a brilliant student. But th- there's this scene where Robin Williams realizes all he has are these book smarts. And he's getting frustrated with them because he thinks he knows everything. He thinks he's got it all figured out. And Robin Williams doesn't know how to communicate it to him until this one iconic scene. I want to read part of what Robin Williams' character says to him. He says, so if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo, you know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, the whole works, right? And he says this, but I'll bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling and seen that. There's a difference, and this scene captures it. There's between reading about something, understanding it with your head, and experiencing it for yourself. The map is not the territory. Imagine you saw me walking around. I had a map of Europe. And so I'm carrying this map around and, and you're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just, look, just looking at my map. And, and so you're like, can I see? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I show you and I'm like, see, you got France and Germany and you got Poland and Ukraine and Sweden. And, and, and then I say, I just can't believe I've been to all these places. And you go, oh, when, when did you have a trip to Europe? Oh no, I've never been to Europe. I just, I saw it on a map. I just can't believe like I've been to France. Like that's like in Portugal and Spain. And man, it's just, it's amazing that, that I've been to all these places. Now you might look at me and go, yeah, no, that's a map of those places, but it's, like, it's not the same as being at those places. Like, like that map is reflective of something, but the map is not the territory. There, there's something beyond that. That just because you've seen it on a map doesn't mean you've been to Europe right? There's something in the disconnect there. This is why when I talk about Israel and Palestine, why I want you all to experience this trip, the things that you will see and hear are unlike anything else. And until you are there, until you see these stories, until you hear these narratives, it won't make sense. But I can look at this map of Europe and go, oh yeah, this, this is the same I have been to Europe. Now I'll take it even further. Imagine if I had this map and I spilled my coffee on it and I went, oh no, did I just ruin Europe? <laughs> N- no, you, you spilled coffee on a, on a map of Europe, right? Like the map is not the territory. Now again, if I wanted to go to Europe, would a map be helpful? Absolutely, I should have an idea of where I'm going and how it all looks and this map correlates to what Europe really is. There is a reality dimension there, but the map is not the territory. And if I walk away holding a map and I miss what the map is pointing me to, I have missed something significant. And this is the way many of us read the Bible. Now, let me say this very clearly so that no one misunderstands me. I love the Bible. 
okay? If you're a little un unsure, I love the Bible. I read the Bible. I study the Bible. I teach the Bible every weekend. I have pursued two academic degrees in learning about the Bible. But the reason why I am so confident in the Bible is because I have met Jesus. The reason why I have, we're gonna give a half clap to that. Either do it or not, come on. The reason why I value the Bible, the reason why I read it, the reason why I study is it, because the person of Jesus is illuminated as I do that. I, I get to experience him more, but the Bible is not the foundation of my faith. The Bible is not the end of my faith. That goes back to the person of Jesus. Or let me say it like this. Do you put things in a safe to make them valuable or because? They are valuable. Imagine I come to you and I say, hey, I've got this, this old ring I wanna sell you. And you're like, okay. Uh, and, I, and you're like, what's the story of the ring? I'm like, well, uh, uh, 10 years ago, I bought this ring for $5 at a state fair. You're like, okay. But then for the last 10 years, I put it in a safe. So now I'm asking $1,500 for it. Now, how many of you think that's a good deal? You probably get me and go, Jeremy, just because you put it in a safe, does not make it valuable, right? Why would you put something in a safe? Because it's valuable or because you're making it valuable? No, because you already put value into it. The reason why someone eventually put all these letters together into the New Testament as we know it is not because putting the, the title of the Bible on it suddenly made them great. It's because the people who had seen Jesus said, yeah, that is good. That, that lines up to what we saw too. Write that down. Yeah, share that because that is what we saw as well. They were already valuable. The letters that these guys were passing around, the, the, the gospel accounts that they saw, they looked together and went, these are real. This is what we have seen. Let's keep these. Let's pass it on. Let's read them in our churches because this is about the event that we have seen. But they did not get lost on the letters. They were focused on the person of Jesus. In Ephesians 2, Paul says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, which is what you and I all were, unless you're Jewish, okay? So you look at the Old Testament, that's not a covenant for us. We're not included in that. But now, check this out, we're not foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. Woo, that's some good news. How do we do that? We're also members of his household. What are we, what are we built on? Built on the foundation of the Bible. No, built on the foundation of the apostles. Those people who had met Jesus, who had seen Jesus, and the prophets, those people that were saying, look, there's another person coming. Like what we have now is not all there is. There's something else with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You wanna know how do we build our faith? How do we know what Christianity is all about? Paul's like, oh, it's easy. Built on the foundation of Christ Jesus himself. Now, maybe the image of a cornerstone you're not familiar with, that's like the large stone of a building that all the other bricks are built on. And so if the cornerstone is good, the rest of the building will be built on those lines on that foundation. Now, look at Christianity as a whole. Christianity is a big building at this point. There are lots of bricks. And let's be honest, some of those bricks are a bit jacked up. Some of those bricks, the lines go a little weird, and you go, yeah, I don't know about that. 
But if you go back to the cornerstone, we can keep building on that. We can keep building on the person of Jesus. And if we understand that, this is what it leads us to. As Jesus goes, so goes Christianity. Not the Bible, as Jesus goes. Because Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the center of our faith. I wanna close with a story uh, I experienced a couple weeks ago. I took my daughter, Adeline, uh, to the movies. We were gonna have a little date night, and Adeline is seven, and I said, Adeline, what, what movie you wanna go see? And she goes, Dad, I really wanna see Aladdin. Now, I confess to you, I did not want to see Aladdin. I'd already seen the cartoon years ago, felt like I did my time, I'm good. I'm not really into the whole, let's remake a movie over and over again because we can't think of anything new, okay? That's just me. And so I'm like, any other movie you wanna see? She's like, no, I really wanna see Aladdin. I'm like, all right, I love my daughter. I'll go see this movie. And so we go in and I confess, my expectations are really low, okay? I'm not expecting anything out of this. I'm just gonna go have a, a fun evening with my daughter. Uh, but here's what I gotta tell you, I was pleasantly surprised. And if you've seen the movie, uh, there was a number of things they changed about the original that I thought were actually really good. And so afterward, uh, I took Adeline to dinner and we were unpacking the movie. And I said, Adeline, what did you think about Aladdin? She goes, I liked it. And I said, you know what? I really did too. I said, I'm a little bit surprised, but I said, I really like the way they made those changes from the cartoon. And she looked at me and she goes, what cartoon? I said, you know, like the, the original Disney cartoon this is all built on. And she had this like blank stare. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, what kind of a dad am I? I'm like, you've never seen Aladdin? She's like, no. I'm like, so you're watching this movie with me. I've seen the original. You don't even know that there is an original. We have dramatically different experiences of this movie. And the same is true when it comes to Christianity. That if you come in and you have no idea what the foundation is, what the cornerstone is, any change or any adaptation you can get spun up on, you can get confused on, and your whole faith can erode. But if you understand what this is all built on, you understand the source of all this, you can go back and go, no, I, I know it's about Jesus. Then you know that only as Jesus goes, so goes Christianity. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we invite you to continually reveal yourself to us. That as we unpack the bricks and the bricks of Christianity, we try to figure out why does some of this get weird and why does some of this get confusing? May we go back to the cornerstone, to what all of this is resting upon. And the cornerstone is not the Bible. It's not where we stake our claim to faith. It's not where we plant our flag, but on what the Bible is pointing us to, which is you. And so as a church, as Christians today who are trying to make sense out of how we follow you in the midst of the changing world around us, may we understand that it is only built on you. And so we can read the Bible and value the Bible and study the Bible because we know that it's gonna help us see you. And we are committed to pursuing you. May you reveal yourself to us in profound new ways. May we see your face like never before. And may we look like people who are following the person of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.